Johnny, I'm really sorry about that. He he just has never let go of the relationship. It's no, it's, it, I understand. I understand. Been, you know, it's like you're you're, you're very kind to him. It's uh, been over for years. I just don't know why he keeps doing this. Like know, it's, every it's, other day, this happens. It's you know, it's it's he's he's got some beggars. He's working through it. You know, you uh, it doesn't. I I I'll never trust you any less than I already do. You know, like, I just I, it's like I just want to have the a, fact the a fact, normal dinner at Hooters with you the, without the, him kicking the door you know, down the, and the, doing the, this. The, the fact that you can deal with his weirdness in such a kind way while also eating dinner with me and also being my waitress. It's just, you know, it just it yeah. improves. Well, I think you and I have something have. something real here. Yeah, no, I, I, I do too. Will you please beat the shit out of him next time he comes yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank yeah. you. I don't usually condone violence, but, uh, but I don't know how to end this bits. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hi. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm great. Are you? I feel great. How do you feel? I feel okay. Okay, not as good as me, obviously. <laughs> We're, this is episode number 32, and it's underway, I've just decided. All right, excellent. By no, Fiat. That that was a nice callback uh, you possibly intentionally did, and I just accidentally wandered into there from, uh, I believe, our previous episode and discussions of uh, responses to salutations. Yeah. The intersection of uh, rote pleasantries and the social contract in terms of small talk and the legitimacy or not or of, of how we represent our feelings. Even though I um, listened to the episode, you know, obviously while we're recording it because I'm involved, and then I listened to it again while I'm editing it. For some reason. And then I listened to it again at least two times, like to make sure the web player's working, to make, like, see how it it sounds in the car. I I end up listening to every episode probably four times, including while I record it. And yet you still remember what happened last episode better than I do. I remember little bits. My brain latches on to, to pieces of things and, and, and holds them up very, very, uh, very high, I think, for, for, for it to keep considering. I think it's, it's just it, it picks out little bits and it just sort of obsesses on them. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a great breadth necessarily of recall. But Ooh, uh, you're telling me, woo! <laughs> yeah, get that guy a breadth mint. Yes, that's a solid pun. That's a solid pun to open with. Thanks. Uh, that was a that was a Josh Millard special. Yeah, that was that was nice. I feel like I'm, I'm, it's like looking into a mirror. Yeah, yeah. My sense of humor has been poisoned by all these conversations we've had. This is, this is my goal. This is this is this is my design. Anyone who found me funny before is going to no longer find me funny. But I, I hope to discover a new audience. Well, see, the trick is I spend enough time talking to someone, and and then they 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 make that shift when they start. They stop making their own jokes and they start making my jokes, and then their friends don't like them as much. And so they feel isolated, and so they they have to come back to me. I'm sort of I'm I'm grooming a a, a social sphere by by as you say poisoning their uh, uh, their 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 humorous well. Yeah, I, I I I like to poison wells, is what I'm trying to say. I, yeah, I, I I'm responsible for a number of well poisoning related 
deaths and illnesses. M- metaphorically, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, that that too. But but now that I feel all awkward about our initial exchange, how are you? Because I'm just gonna I'm gonna believe you this time. I'm good. I, I actually wasn't in mean it as a callback. I actually am uh, <laughs> in a good mood. Oh, good. I'm glad you're in a good mood. I'm in a beer mood. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for um, pushing back. I always, always, for the listener, I'm always the one who's really like trying to arrange the recording time and trying to get things on a schedule. And then at the last minute, always, always, always switching the recording time on Josh, whether it's me coming to his house to record in the basement or Skyping as we are now. Uh, I'm always fucking throwing him for a last second loop, and he's always quite gracious about it. I'm a gracious motherfucker. He's a fucking gracious son of a bitch, and I'll truck, I'll truck no. Is that how do you form that sense? I I, I won't truck. I hate trucks. I won't truck with. I won't truck with is how I think of it. Really? That's how you say it? Were were you perhaps? I'll carry no truck with someone who. Brook no? Yeah, I'll brook no trucks. Yeah. Yeah. No. I actually literally can't remember how to put these words together in a sense. <laughs> I'm going to go with Brooke. Let's go with Brooke. I'll brook no it's, disagreement? Is that I'll, how, what I'll, I'm Dave, supposed to be I'll, saying? I'll columnist David Brooks yeah. no agreement. All right. I, I'm incrementing the dad joke counter by one for that one. I think I'm one of those like multi-digit little clickers. Yeah. It's, it's like a car odometer when it gets to um, <laughs> 100,000 or 900,999. Yeah. And it rolls over and all my sins are washed away. You, you can only hope. It's like in hearts when you're trying to shoot the moon. You're trying to get the worst possible score and win by the secret method. Yep. <laughs> Trucks. So what have you been up to since we last spoke? Oh, I, it's probably not that much. Um I, uh, I've been traveling for work again more still. It's still, it's just a reminder of how it's insane and suicidal. Every single driver on the road is except for me and crazy and, um, like not cognizant of their surroundings and shit. I, yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I honestly don't know what to do about it. I see people driving so stupidly and like recklessly, but not even reckless in like a fun way just stupidly reckless like they just fucking forgot how to drive and that's three quarters of the people on the road with me and sometimes they're just so egregious and so stupid that i just like what phone number do i pick up and call right there from the car and read their license plate number and get a letter sent to their house that says you need to fucking remember how to drive next time you take your car your murder box out on the freeway with other human beings i'm not i'm not sure there's any any organization that actually sends those letters uh that's a conundrum i ran into one time though i did see some guy like and this was a very slow motion thing so i could have done this but he 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 was driving like a real crazy jackass up the road to the st john's bridge and getting in basically a car fight with someone else over whether or not they should drive in a lane he wasn't in because he didn't think anyone should drive in it. And this is a complicated local traffic drama thing from a couple years ago. But anyway, the the key thing is the guy was being an asshole and then he sort of sped off at the end like an asshole because he was so, I think, pumped up on his own assholery or whatever. And And I called afterwards and I was like, hey, I saw this guy like just a you know, a couple minutes ago, right in this specific area, doing bad, dumb things with his car. And they're like, oh, um, is this currently happening? He's like, well, no, it was a couple minutes ago. I was driving. And I was like, oh, well, you should really let us know when it's happening. I was like, but I'm 
driving. You know, it's like wait, you called. This is a true story. Who did you call? You called the police. You called the police non-emergency. Yeah. Yeah, that's who I wanted to call. Yeah, well, and I, I think you could do that, but that's the thing. Like, if I'd called as soon as I saw weirdness, I didn't really know it was going to turn into the guy also speeding off and whatnot. It was just a couple jackasses yelling, you know, while we're sitting in traffic, essentially. But uh, but then once he sped off, it's like, should I floor it and then also call? You know, I mean, I guess if I had Bluetooth set up or whatever, then I could have hands-free called the cops while chasing a guy to report reckless driving. But it's like it seems like basically unless they screw up and run into an inanimate object and thus crash their car, you can't do anything about it. Like, I'm not sure if I'd had the guy's plates. Maybe I even did have the guy's plates. I don't remember for sure. I don't know if they would have taken any action. Because, like, in, in their mind, what are they going to do? Do a license plate search and then hunt him down and say, hey, somebody told us you're driving bad. Is that true? Because like, he's going to go, no. You know, if he has any brains in his head, you know, and then it's like nothing. They got nothing. So it's it's a weird thing. People being dangerous drivers is a weird thing there because it seems like there is no real good recourse for it. We just sort of hope that generally speaking, people aren't terrible. And then when the worst happens, it's easier to report because something terrible happened. And if the worst doesn't happen, then it's just bad drivers on the road scaring you. Right. And, it, you know, it's I, I also get that everybody has a different style of driving and everybody thinks everybody else on the road is psychotic. And because it doesn't align to their exact personal idea about what speed people should be going and which lane they should be in at which exact time and stuff. Um, it's so it's it's not an easy problem, but surely there must be some possible conceptual system. Right. I mean, the what you're describing where you call and they say. Okay, well, well, we'll run the guy's plates, find out who it is, call you know the house and see what the hell he has to say for himself or whatever. Obviously, that doesn't get us anywhere, but surely there's something, right? Like, surely there's like police Yelp for drivers. An, an omnipresent police state where we have cameras on oh. every twenty feet of road, recording and monitoring. You're filtering. just describing my dream. It's so good. <laughs> See, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. No, but like I don't know. Maybe I just say like, hey, this person like almost killed a bunch of people, and they say okay, and then they just make a mark. They make a mark on the record, <laughs> and when fifty people call and report the same car, maybe you can follow up on it then. I mean, if you get people on board, you can actually cull some useful data out of this sort of system if it were so designed. I don't know. I think I think it would just be there would be a whole lot of infrastructure you'd have to put in place to make it something that would work in a way that wouldn't have a bunch of drawbacks. And that just sucks. All you need is telephones and a Google Doc spreadsheet. That has every license plate in the world, <laughs> <laughs> or just in America. I guess. They're just What's the in set the of state. social mores that like say that yes, this particular approach to enforcement, this is okay, rather than you know right. really problematic. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have to tell you. I I, I super duper sympathize because uh, yes, I I am. Although it apparently has not been giving me as much trouble as, as you recently, I definitely run into a lot of bad or troubling or really what the fuck are you thinking driving on the road and. I feel like, you know, the, the practically speaking, the best I can do is just like take to heart the whole defensive driving concept and, you know, think, OK, all of us on this road are in an ad hoc partnership. And as long as most of us are being pretty good partners about it, it's probably going to work out OK, even if someone's a fucking idiot. I think so much about it because it's so frustrating to know there's nothing. There's nothing you can do unless a police officer literally is there witnessing it. 
they can just drive in like absolute psychos with zero regard for other human life around them in in their murder box and it there's no you know there's no repercussions whatsoever it's very very frustrating you can see why road you know why people honk and flip each other off and scream and pull over and get in fistfights and stuff because there's so fucking much at stake when you're driving down a freeway yep. it's uh and it's frustrating to feel like you are powerless to do anything about it. it's a fucking psychopath in that scenario i don't know it's a hard thing yeah it's not it's not an easy one i so what i guess i mean if we're not going to do your police state idea which bummer but okay <laughs> i just need one of those police like car harpoons coming off the front of my car and i can just ram their bumper and get my barbed carpoon into their fucking bumper hit the brakes and just drag them to a stop just so they can like take a time out and uh and think about what they've done that seems like a reasonable non-overreactive approach yeah and then they'll i'm sure they'll be calm after i do that right yeah, they'll they'll get exactly. their level-headedness will return yeah. slowly yeah. They'll enter like a Zen-like state where they contemplate what they've done wrong. Yeah, it's so, okay. I think, well, I think I, there you go. Solving Solve. the world's problems one at a time. Another problem solved on the crapshoot. Yep. So, uh, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing all right. Good. I uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of programming. Is what I've been doing. Tell me about uh, that. Um, so uh, this may be new since we last talked. Uh, but there's a little uh, thing called Pico 8 mm-hmm. uh, that I have fallen deeply in love with. Pico 8 is the work of a developer called uh, Lexalophil. They make a game called Voxatron. They may mostly just be he. There's a guy named Zep, or I, you know, his handle is Zep. I don't know his actual name. But anyway, uh, Zep, Lexalophil, a few months ago, I guess, started privately beta testing or alpha testing a piece of software called Pico 8. And what Pico 8 is, is brilliant. It is a fantasy console. Uh, That is to say, it is a fictional 1980-something computer-slash-video game console that's occupying a space somewhere in the muddle between a Commodore 64 and uh, NES and maybe a Genesis. You know, a little bit of each. Uh, But focusing on a really, really... Uh, constrained set of system specifications. So it's got a 128 by 128 pixel screen, which is tiny. That's smaller than a Game Boy. Uh, but I think that's like uh, on par with like maybe a Commodore 64-ish territory. Uh, it's got a 16 color palette that's a fixed palette of 16 colors. So it's not like 16 at a time. It's there are 16 total in the system. Uh, it's got cartridges for it are limited to 32 kilobytes of memory total. Half of that is for storing code. The other half is divvied up among uh, sprite graphics memory and some map graphics memory. Uh, And then there's room for sound and music and uh, some other miscellaneous overhead. And and this is all, this is all specked out as like, you know, the, the breakdown of a cartridge for this fictional console. And the whole thing's written in, uh, Lua and uh, the SDL uh, graphics and sound library and, and and as a result, what you basically get when you when you launch this thing, you get a boot up screen for a computer that doesn't exist called the Pico 8. And so you launch Pico 8 for the first time, and it does a little booting screen and does a memory check sort of thing and a ding ding, and then you get a command prompt, and you can either you know, CD and dir your way around a directory, 
uh, and look at files that are already on the system, or you can just start making something because it's got a built-in text editor for writing code. It's got a built-in sprite editor for drawing little graphics in 8x8 sprite tiles. It's got a map editor that you can sort of paint a static map out of existing sprites you've drawn. Uh, It's got a sound editor for making individual sound effects or songs, and then a music editor for stringing a bunch of song pieces together into longer compositions. And the, 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 the beautiful thing about this is you don't like go use some tool set to program this computer. The computer is also its tool set, so you can just launch this thing. You could make this the only thing running on a dedicated computer, and it would function essentially as a very minimal operating system, and the game development process is all self-contained. So you, this, could, this could be your entire life if you wanted to just have your own private computer for doing and playing games uh, all as one complete pack. And it's just wonderful. It's hard to convey uh, because it's, it's such, it's such a, a sort of product of clear affection by the guy who developed it. Uh, and it's such a callback to sort of like days gone by, sort of like an 80s era of sentiment that uh, honestly younger gamers and younger computer users may be more or less wholly unfamiliar with, which is really interesting uh, that like, you know, at 36, I'm like, yeah, but you know, this is a legitimately, uh, but the kids today sort of thing, because kids who are, you know, in high school now may never see a command prompt necessarily. Uh, and we've talked about some of this stuff before a bunch, I know. Um, but anyway, it's, it's neat. It's just, it's, it's a really, it's a really strongly nostalgic thing. But the thing is for all this, talk of nostalgia and, and constraints, it's also a lot of fun to actually make video games in. And I've been doing that for like three weeks now, just kind of nonstop. I've made a bunch of little games start to finish, you know, with this system. And I'm super duper duper enjoying it. I've really, really uh, gotten into it. Um, I made a couple of Dune themed games, which is something I think I talked about previously when I was having ideas about it last year. But I made a, a nicer version of the old Shai Hulud uh, snake game as a sandworm game that I made a JavaScript version of, I don't know, like late last year, I think. Right, on your Tilby Club page. Yeah, exactly. So I took that and I came back and sort of did a more graphical version of it. Uh, and I'm really happy with how it came out. And you, know, you can play it single player, you can play it against. Uh, like, like a classic snake game. You can play it against another person. You can play it against some AI snakes. I wrote a little uh, worm AI. Uh, you know, and it's got a rad uh, Dune soundtrack. I did a sort of interpretation of some of the music from the Toto slash Brian Eno soundtrack from the Lynch film. Uh, you know, and the whole thing I put together in like a couple days, and there wasn't that much to do because the cart size is small enough. You can't get crazy ambitious. Uh, so I just said, here's an idea, I'm going to knock it out, and boom, it was done. And I made an, a game called Thopter Escape, where you're flying through a desert windstorm, like from a chapter, you know, about, I don't know, a third or a halfway into the original novel, where Paul and Jessica are escaping from the Harkonnens into a desert that would surely kill them, except uh, Paul's prescience is starting to, you know, come to the fore, and so he's able to navigate the sandstorm, and... And, you know, none of this comes through in a video game, of course. These are like shitty 80s uh, rush-to-market franchise cash-in games, not like doting attempts to convey the, the mood and the weight and the aesthetic of the, the book or the movie. Uh, but, you know, sure. it, it, but so, you, just, you just make them. It's nice. So two questions. One is, um, is there actually this lore around the console where it's like was a lost and undiscovered i mean it ostensibly is a actual undiscovered console that you now just get to program in or is just the lore all coming from your nostalgia for this style of software development i, w- I would say more the latter i mean it, 
to the extent that there is lore, I, I don't know how much Zepp has internally in mind for it in terms of lore. He's talked about it in little bits and pieces, but, uh, but maybe there's more to come. Uh, but mostly this is sort of subtextual. But he's, he's referred to it as a fantasy console, and I, I tend to think it's more like this is an alternate universe console. Like it's not so much this is an undiscovered real console as this is a very real console from a slightly different universe. Because there's so thing. much overlap in that aspect of it with your an earlier project you had started where you were developing <laughs> know, a, right? a, fa- a fake history for a fantasy console that yeah. uh, w- that's uh, pl- played entirely straight-faced. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know where this leaves me on that because this is uh, coming along much better with me just programming in someone else's project than my my fictional rendition of some fictional console. Right. Uh, <laughs> this may the, the two may merge for me somehow. If I decide to get back to that project, maybe this will be the platform with which I develop the games that existed on that console. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it, it is weirdly resonance of that. But uh, yeah, it would be funny for the worlds to collide a little bit there. Yep. But when you cut, when it comes down to actually writing the game, writing the software, are you writing in a known language or is this like a language or development environment that is completely itself new and invented for this platform? It's a, it's a little bit in between what it is. It's based on a language called Lua, um, L-U-A, uh, that I've used a little bit before, so that made it easier to get into it. Um, but it's it's a very stripped down subset of that. So part of the aesthetic of this is the guy wants it to have a really sort of limited API, a really limited library. So he's using Lua as the language. And if you're familiar with Lua syntax, then this is like immediately you're like, oh, I know the basic things this can do. I know how to write if-then statements and and which operators to use for comparisons and whatnot and how to manipulate uh, a list of objects maybe. Hmm. Uh, so it, it's got that going for it, but then he's basically omitted the entire standard library of Lua. So there's a whole bunch of really useful, practical, high-level programming functions in Lua because it's a you know fully featured language. Uh, and he just threw most of those out and said, nope, those aren't in the Pico 8 language. Here's a small standard library that implements the most basic of those ideas, the, the core things that are useful for this without getting things too complicated. Um, so you are sort of learning a new library for Lua or a new language entirely if you don't know Lua um, to do this, which is really interesting because partly because it's still in development and so the documentation is not super great for everything he's written. So it's, things are still sort of like coming along. This is version 0.11 right now. Uh, but it's really, really featured for so early. It's more that just like there's a lot of little niceties to take care of and a few things to add and a lot of bug fixing to do. Um, so yeah, no, you're actually you're you're actually writing in a semi-invented variant on an existing language, and you're doing so in a text editor that's like you know all of like 18 lines high on screen at a given time, um, and you can copy the paste out copy and paste out to an external editor if you really want to. But uh, I've been enjoying just working entirely inside of it. And how self-contained is it? I mean, are you, it can't like, you can't give it access to the file system on your hard drive because, I mean, wait, so first of all, is it running only in a browser or is it running in an app on your computer as well? It's running in an app on your computer. Okay. And And you can compile it it as a browser playable game out of you can You can upload it to the site uh, oh, for it at this okay. point, in the long run, there'll be more versatility. But right now, it's like, it's it's you have to pay, pay twenty bucks to get a copy of it, or really get a free copy of it when you pay twenty bucks for their main game, uh, Voxatron. Um, and then you can engage on sort of the forum on the website 
and you can upload a cart there and then it'll be it'll show up in the sort of list of cartridges on the system and then people can play on a web player there so they host the kind of the one web player and yeah yeah, at the moment yeah and and that's that's one of the many things that's still sort of in development too Sure. Uh, but but it's really easy at that point. You can very quickly say, okay, I'm going to save this thing out and I'm going to upload it to the site and boom, a minute later, you've got it up there in a web player and people can play it immediately. So you can really responsibly share it with people. Uh, you can't easily embed that anywhere else at this point, I don't think. But uh, And it's its, it, it's its own kind of isolated island, right? Like you couldn't make a web browser or a chat program in it, right? Because it doesn't know any, about anything outside of its own box. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no socket stuff or anything at this point that might come along eventually but right now it's just very uh much yeah just its own little thing so no i can't we're not no multiplayer doom dune games uh not not ex, not unless you're hot seating it it does yeah. support two local game pads uh so shy halud my new version of shy halud for the pico 8 does support two-player play on the same keyboard um related to which my e key which is the up button for the player two gave out last night and it occurs to me that yesterday me and my brother came into town he came into town uh we played some shy halud and uh sort of shouted at each other for about 10 minutes laughing and doing that it's possible he really really laid on my inky and that's what happened <laughs> to it uh i don't know i'm not i'm not i'm not leveling leveling an accusation exactly but yeah i'm just saying it's it's an interesting coincidence mm-hmm yep <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna take two hops from this to the topic uh that i really want to engage you on but maybe uh just take a little we could take a little break first let's do it okay do 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 here's the break music now Hey, we're back. <laughs> it's funny because I'm just pretending we've gone anywhere. We've, in reality, we just haven't stopped talking. Or are we pretending that we're only pretending? That's the conundrum. That's what the listener, I almost said reader, mm-hmm. I guess if this gets transcribed, the reader has to ask themselves, you know, where does the artifice end and where does the actual exposure of temporality as we experience it that's uh, the question begin. the reader will mull over and then immediately cast off as too inane a question to even consider any longer. Probably, probably. You know, I wanted to say something before you get into what you actually wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, Story uh, of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or this podcast, at least. <laughs> Regarding a previous episode yeah. and some listener feedback, I wanted to note something, which is that we often get rambling on a subject and sort of talk about ugh, people in various capacities. And, and one of the things we got into ugh-ing about was uh, computer support stuff and dealing with uh, uh, people who have trouble with the internet, people who uh, have trouble with computer support issues, etc. cetera. Uh, and yeah, there are generalizations you can make about different cohorts and their relative level experience, but stereotypes are stereotypes. We have people in our lives who are bad at computers and people in lives who are good at computers. And some of the people who are good at computers are people who fall into the cohorts we sort of lazily generalized as bad at computers. 
and I just want to kind of acknowledge that, yeah, okay, we get a head of steam up, but uh, for for anybody who feels like we're being jerks about something, maybe we're actually being jerks about something, but uh, that's just us being dumb. That's not us actually thinking people are bad at stuff. So, Josh, I'm, I'm lost in this apology <laughs> a little bit. I, I want to apologize too, but I don't understand what's happened. What was the, we, we, I, we were sort of being breezily dicks about uh, older people using computers. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I sort of, I wandered through my playing cards. <laughs> sure. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's legitimately a thing where, yeah, it's, it's easy for me to get frustrated at people I deal with or people I deal with sort of in the shadows as much as anything with Metafilter, which is where I think it came up when we were talking about it the other episode. Okay. It wasn't me and Jessamine's episode. Cause we got a deep dive on t- t- helping people use computers who aren't as well acclimated to them. That was probably a better dive on it. Cause yeah, Jessamine has a lot of, uh, uh, specific experience there with the digital divide stuff, with the idea of helping people who just circumstantially are not exposed as much to modern computing stuff or modern computing resources. Um, so yeah, and, and yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's sort of a blind spot for me, I guess, as part of the thing. So I'm not super necessarily aware of it, but uh, but I, I kind of, you know, I, I I think uh, I ended up hurting someone's feelings a little bit, and I feel bad about that. And I oh, just want to sure. acknowledge that you know. That that kind of sucks, and hey, I'm sorry about that. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's shitty and unfair to paint with a broad brush like that under pretty much any circumstances. So it, I absolutely feel the same as you. I also, I mean, after having spent ten years basically helping people learn to use their computers as my you know nine to five job. I can tell you that my honest, truest feeling is that every time you're trying to do something with a computer and it's not making sense or you feel intimidated by it or something is off kilter, no matter your, you know, whatever demographic you may fall into, um, it's the computer's fault. It really is. I mean, these things, these things are meant to be tools, right? A hammer where you're half the time picking it up by the wrong end and trying to, you know, hammer a nail into the wall. That's bad hammer design. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like this stuff should, should work the way you expect it to work. And when it doesn't, you know, it can be, it can be frustrating and it make you like, it can diminish your sense of like being in control of the tool at your disposal and it really really sucks because how are you supposed to do anything in this world without doing it through a computer anymore yeah, right absolutely. any shortcoming on or misunderstanding about computer interface is a failing of the interface because they're meant they're meant to be there and used and intuitive and usable and when they're not and you have to jump through a hoop or go through go down a rabbit hole of google or tech support or anything like that it's because the computer hasn't risen up to meet you and uh, make its you know make its tools of uh, avail you of its tools and the capabilities so that's my honest yeah, feeling they're, so they're, they're enormously complicated machines and the flip side of that is that you know as much as there are things we expect people to uh, do poorly with there's a lot of folks who aren't going to do as poorly as people assume and that's what leads to uh, sort of assumptions about you know relative levels of competence or generalizations on that front um, sure. which, all, which can very much come from an experience of like dealing with a abstract you know collective of experiences there but it's still you know it's, that remains the abstract thing and people aren't abstract and so that's where you get that person to person variation that you know yeah, ab- absolutely, there. absolutely, and um, apologies if I have um, prejudged anybody or, or you know, ma- made it sound like a class of person is less capable than another. I, I mean, it's it just reminds me of like 
you know, the, <laughs> the first time the even the, even the mere idea of feminism crossed my mind, and it was before I knew what the word feminism was. But I was like a little kid, and my mom and I were driving away from the mechanic, and she seemed a little upset. And I'm like, "What? What's? Why are you upset?" And she's like. Well, the mechanic wouldn't tell me what was wrong with the car. And I'm like, why not? And she said, well, he's like, oh, he said, don't worry your pretty little head about it. And I'm like, well, fuck that fucking guy. I don't know. So that yeah. is, I mean, it. you know, to me, it's the same thing. You don't want to, we want to be careful not to bucket people. And sometimes it can happen inadvertently. And I apologize if it has. Now that I've, now that I've hijacked you with serious business, what were you going to talk about? Now I'm just pissed. <laughs> now I'm just mad. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get through this. You made a game called Onwiji. I did. Was it on Pico? Pico? You say Pico. Yeah. I think I say Pico. I was I when I read it, I say Pico in my head. See, and you know, I'm totally comfortable with the pronunciation Pico too. So I don't know where the distinction is for me. But yeah, I call it Pico. I don't know. What I think Pico it. is probably the right thing. Pico is, I think, because I'm thinking Pico de Gallo. Ah, yes. So tell me about Onwiji. Onwiji. Onwiji is a little. Pico 8 game uh, I made based on an idea I had like four years ago and it's just been sort of sitting there ever since but it's a it's a little tiny sort of uh, deconstruction of the original Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Entertainment System uh, which is of an appropriate era, era to the fictional era of the Pico 8 so it felt like the right thing to do uh, but it's just it's it's a little mushroom kingdom simulator it's simulates like 16 or so different snippets of map screens from uh the mushroom kingdom probably world 3-1 because it's got the dark black sky uh, which was so amazing the first time i saw that in super mario brothers um but it's, it's got luigi wandering around looking a little bit frownier than normal i, I added a little bit of droop to his uh mustache and and uh turned his eyes down instead of up a little bit and he's smoking a cigarette and he's just wandering around and you can wander left and right from screen to screen and it loads up random bits of maps so sometimes you have to turn around and walk the other way because there's a pipe in front of you but because uh, he can't jump he's he's too tired he's too too far gone all he can do is walk and smoke his cigarette uh, and I, I spent a lot of my sprite budget on just the animation frames for him taking a drag and blowing smoke uh, and and then he can ruminate. He can press the up button to just think. And so I wrote like uh, I think 108 you know, all in total different short little thoughts for him to have about uh, the Mushroom Kingdom and about Mario and about his own life and the nature of existence and his interactions with a princess and and yeah. So you just wander around smoking and thinking uh, in the darkness of the Mushroom Kingdom as screen by screen as you wander around it just crumbles a little bit more. Uh, and that's the whole thing. It's just like, it's a little, little art game, a little experiential game. Um, but people seem to like it. And, so uh, w w this is, this is only has ever been your idea, right? As far as I know. I mean, people have certainly had ideas about sort of deconstructing or recontextualizing uh, Super Mario Brothers in a variety of ways. You know, I mean, lots of people have written riffs on various aspects of this, and I'm certainly not the first person who thought, yeah, but if you think about it, Mario's <laughs> kind of a crazy psycho killer, right? You know, I mean, I did not get there first, I'm sure. This, you know, for 30 years now, I'm sure people have been having varieties of thoughts along these lines, and I've seen several treatments of these ideas over the last, you know, several years, whether before or after I got thinking about it. But the fact that I've seen you use smoking Luigi as an avatar in years past 
is yes. just is is yep. because it's been lodged in your brain for that long, not because you're remaking uh, something right, that right, you had right. come across before. Yes, I, it was like it was like four four years and change ago. I, I went back and found my original drawing of it, and I had posted the first thing I ever posted to the image sharing site Milkshake, which I hang out on. Uh, turns out to have been a Photoshop I'd done of Luigi smoking a cigarette and the word on Ouija underneath. And I was so satisfied with myself at the time that I, I posted this and I shared it around. It's like, yeah, this is pretty great. And then I just sort of kept thinking about it off and on uh, for like four years. And then Pico 8 came along. It's like, it's time to try and do something with this. And, and so I put it together. And yeah. That's, it's, um, it's a trick. You know, I didn't, I didn't spend as much time. With it. I mean, I feel like I got what I was going to get out of it pretty quick, but I liked yeah, what I got out of yeah, it. It's one of those things where you, you, you get the whole idea inside of a minute. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing surprising about the content of the game. Uh, after that first minute or so, you know what's going to happen, probably. And if you wander around to test that idea, you'll find out that, yes, no, that's that's all that's going to happen. There's no end state. There's no game over. Eventually, if you have the patience to go through all of his thoughts, he's just going to start going through them again. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you don't really need to spend the, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes it'd probably take to get him to recite <laughs> all of his lines. Um, for them all to drift lazily above his head one line yeah. at a time when they're all written as little self-contained you know snippets that maybe sort of loosely refer to others but it's not in any order like it literally randomizes the list of his thoughts every time you load the game and you'll get the whole list in that randomized order and then it'll loop back on itself so you won't have to keep seeing the same thing three or four times while you're hunting around to find one that you haven't seen before because i i hate that shit but uh but yeah, so it's it's all this like gestural thing that comes together as its own little slightly varied tapestry, depending on how the random number generator sorted the list for you when you launched the game. Don't don't it's, don't listen to Josh. There's tons of secrets hidden in this stuff. So what you need to do is each time you have him uh, ponder, you write down what he said, and then once you have the list of all what, 108, right? Yes. It's a, it's all a gigantic cryptographic you know, secret. And if you can solve the riddle contained spread carefully across every single comment <laughs> he has, you can put in the code that gives, uh, gives on uh, invincibility. This whole, uh, th this whole podcast thing we've been doing all this while has been a long, slow con. I'm actually Phil fish on Ouija is actually <laughs> Fez too. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I promise so actually what you see is what you frog get. fractions too. Um, I may put out an updated version if I hear back from a fellow who wrote to me the other day saying, Hey, I really like on and I found myself sort of writing down some of the thoughts and then I realized oh I basically translated half of it to Spanish. Should I do the rest? And it's like, <laughs> yes, yes, do that and send it back to me. And, uh, so I think I'll put out a Spanish language <laughs> port as well. You shouldn't port it. You should just replace it. I, I, maybe I'll put it like you he can just thinks in Spanish and like like maybe you can just think you know in English or in Espanol it makes the whole thing just even more impenetrable and uh, artistic you know I'm gonna feel bad because I'm gonna get some of this back and I don't think Pico 8 has any support for like extended characters like it's got a oh. so all those enyes are gonna have to just turn into ends mm -hmm. I'll have to I'll have to figure something out there maybe I can turn them into an n tilde so what <laughs> what <laughs> why why is it luigi and not like sonic the hedgehog is it just because of the pun 
Kinda. I mean, I mean, for one thing, yes. He's all, but he's all right. He is always second fiddle, and you kind he of, is. you never really are thinking about what he thinks. Yeah, he's he's such he's such a presence, and you know that's been something that Nintendo and uh, video game fandom both have played around with a little bit. You know, in the last few years, the the idea of acknowledging Luigi's sort of also ran status, and you know, Luigi's got his own games occasionally now and then, like the Luigi's Mansions games. And I played a Luigi's Mansion game. It's I actually haven't been keeping up with Nintendo first party uh, titles so much in the last you know many years, but I remember a Luigi's Mansion game. There was. <laughs> There, there was a dead. It's, it's, correct me if I'm remembering this wrong. There was a dedicated button on the face of the controller that all it did was make Luigi call out Mario's name pathetically because he was searching for him. I think so. Yeah. And it served no other purpose. Mario wasn't an earshot in that game. <laughs> it's just there was a like you push the B button and Luigi goes Mario. I think so. I, I think so. I would have I to mean, ask Angela. She played that one more than I did. Talk about cementing his like status as just a useless turd on his own, <laughs> who's just spends a whole game like stumbling around calling the name of his uh, able brother. And yet, yeah, and, and, and that was his protagonist turn. So right, that's his. Yeah, that's the game that has his name on the cover. It, it, it's a tricky <laughs> thing, but you know, it, there's uh, no so game he, where you, where Mario wanders around calling Luigi's name pathetically. <laughs> yet um yeah no no that's that was part of it i mean definitely part of it was like the characters like i i, I was also a nintendo kid not a sega kid so I, I didn't really have a strong connection with with sonic uh but sonic also didn't feel as aesthetically foundational i mean the the, the sonic games uh were a big influential thing but you don't see nearly as many games that look like sonic or play like Sonic as you do games that owe a really clear platforming debt to Super Mario Brothers. I mean that that was a game that like launched so many imitators. Whereas Sonic was had had a really strong specific gimmick that didn't lend itself to generalization. You don't see a whole lot of games about running in loops really really fast. You know, it's just like sure. that's how Sonic played. You know, and there's there's games that have played with the idea of like speed and whatnot, but it's it's a much more specific thing, right? Uh, I, I mean, Mario is like the Mickey Mouse of video games, where it's just like the D. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. The universality of the characters there too. Like the the franchise has had such ongoing uh, popular success that like it's like tell me tell me everything you know about Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, <laughs> he's blue. He's I a can, hedgehog. I can probably tell you more than you think. <sighs> yeah, so maybe, maybe yeah, I, I don't know if we want to go down that. Yeah, as as the person who had an S and not a, a Sega, I should acknowledge that I I have a strong bias here. But the point is, like, sure. you know, like so. The, there's Doctor Robotnik is his uh, is his arch nemesis, right? Who builds all these robot right, uh, right? And he encapsulates all Sonic's animal friends in the little robot capsules, and that's who yep. you're freeing when you kill the quote-unquote kill the enemies in sonic this is like a failure of the bechtel test sonic edition like you know, a, a character about sonic <laughs> that isn't about you know a character <laughs> that isn't about a robotnik um so robotnik was eggman in the in the japanese version and they still referred to as eggman in, in various titles in the franchise um so 
Sega needed their flagship guy, right? Like they the needed Sega the needed the Sega Mario. And so they they uh they got they solicited contributions from the developers and game designers and character designers they in their employee and uh Sonic was the one they went with, but Eggman was one of the other contenders. Like he could have been the face of Sega for 10 years if he had been selected, but um they liked him so much but he was so inappropriate as like a like someone that kids would think was cool that they just made him the villain of Sonic. Yeah. So um see here, so Sonic's best friend is Tails, who is a <laughs> fox who has two tails and he can whip them around like a helicopter. And then there's and, Knuckles uh, the Echidna. Yeah. Knuckles the Sonic and Knuckles game had lock on technology, which I could go into. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm this is I'm mostly joking by trying to take you to task in that half assed way with my I did, I did, vague I did, Sonic knowledge. I did set you up. Uh, but you know, I, they're ubiquitous characters. The the existence as brothers is a well known thing. But also, you know, they've just like that game. That was the game. I mean, I played video games before that as a kid. I, I liked video games from a pretty young age. But Super Mario Brothers on Nintendo was the fucking life changer. That's the one that just made me a video game kid for life. You know, and that was the that was the thing I most wanted to be playing at any time that it was possible that I might be playing it. And I think I've talked about sneaking off to a uh, bedroom, you know, over at like family friends house and playing as much Nintendo as I could until a, an adult came and found me and said, get back to the party. And then I'd sort of wait it out and then sneak off again. And it was like, and super Mario brothers was like the one, you know, during that key period, that was the, that was the Nintendo game that made the Nintendo so amazing. And I had to, you know, play it and I had to own a Nintendo eventually. And so, you know, it was really not just like foundational for like video game history in the eighties, but like foundational for me as a person, as, as a video game fan, as a lifelong, you know, uh, devotee to this, this particular, uh, medium. Um, so in that sense, it's also just like, it's got the strongest DNA. It's easiest for me to stop and really try and develop a complicated set of feelings and ideas about what a hypothetical alternate version of Luigi, who was an existentialist, would be like, uh, compared to any number of other characters from video games that I'm sure I could riff on if I, you know, got the thought of my head, but, but Luigi was such a fucking canvas, like such, there's so much of my own ability to sort of channel thoughts about life and existence and identity and ontology and, and all that into the mouth of someone. Then, then Luigi was definitely the guy to go with. Plus, plus again, the name was good. So I kind of was trapped at that point. <laughs> Where does it take place in the, in the, in this timeline of the Mario universe? I, 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 I think that it is vague even unto Luigi, but I think it basically takes place in the, I think it takes place after Super Mario Brothers, the original. And I don't think in this universe it's necessarily clear that anything else in the franchise ever happened or will happen. I, I don't have a canonical take on this or anything. I can't say that this is in fact the text of on Luigi or anything, but one possible take is that the split that exists is in Mario's mind and we're left with the rest of the Mario franchise as some sort of frenzied fever dream of a psychotic and, uh, you know, dissociated Mario who has completely lost touch with reality. And then on the flip side, there's Anuigi, which is a portrait of Luigi as a brother who stayed sane and depressed and existential and wandered around the crumbling facade 
that was maintained only by their shared delusion for the time that they were together. And so now in Mario's absence, it is an empty, dead place that he wanders through as it falls to pieces and he ruminates and wonders whether this even is existence or exactly what the nature of his being is. So the Mushroom Kingdom has fallen into disrepair, and is it because Mario's killed everybody in it? No, I, I think that happened earlier. Oh. But I'm not sure. Like, again, the, the, like this is, not, this is not actually something I have plotted out. This is much more... Come on, give me some answers, man. This is a, this is a possibility <laughs> space for why and where Luigi is, and he's wondering about these things. I mean, Luigi uh, doesn't, like, have a other half, right? I mean, Mario has Princess Toadstool... And in some entries in the canon, there's like Toadstool, Princess Toadstool and Peach are different characters. And so in others, Peach, they're the Peach, same. Am I right no, no, about that? No, no, no. So, so the deal is Peach is Princess Toadstool. She was Princess Toadstool early on. And then at some point she got rebranded as Peach, I guess, because they realized Princess Toadstool was the worst name ever. <laughs> uh, so she became Peach at some point in there. And also, there was Super Mario Land for the Game Boy was the first Super Mario title for the Game Boy. Um, and this was sometime after 1 and 2, but before 3, I think. Yeah, uh, I played a lot of that one. Yeah, and that one, you were rescuing uh, Princess Daisy, I believe. Oh, Daisy's possibly, the other. Possibly just Daisy. So yes, yeah. as a result, we now have sort of the Mario and Luigi Luigi is an analog to Mario. Then as an analog to Peach, there's Daisy as a sort of brown haired, slightly more girl next doorish. I don't I think she I, I think she has a crown, but I'm not sure. Maybe she doesn't wear it as much if she does. Uh, but yeah, so Peach and Daisy is sort of like the the blonde and brunette analogs uh, that roughly I, I guess sort of that makes Daisy Luigi's girl in the weird, you know, aromantic, asexual uh, <laughs> chum that is uh, the, the, the Mario franchise. Right, you, you, don't th you don't think Luigi and Daisy are just like the two, they're just the other two people sitting at the table on the dinner date who are just like, I guess we're like obligated to be together, but we're not that into each other even. I just yeah, wish I, our friends weren't so like presumptuous as to yeah, just exactly. say like... Yeah, and I, I, I kind of, I almost don't want to think about that stuff too much because I feel that leads really quickly into troubling areas of fanfic that I really don't want to uh, have a part of. Uh, I, like, I, I don't want to actively start, you know, shipping any characters in the Mario universe because, um, yeah, I, I, it seems like that could get out of hand. We're like unshipping them. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I we're I, just talking about how they secretly held no feelings for each other. Well, yeah, and I, I think I think there's a lot of room for sort of like uh, downer, despairing uh, fan literature about you know the human condition and video game characters. Sure. I think, there, I think there's a lot more room for some uh, you know ludic Dostoevsky, as it were. Um, but you know, I don't think I, I think that's a lot harder to jerk off to. Is why people don't do it much. <laughs> Is, is I guess if I understand the <laughs> I was looking for a way to go there I, I'm glad you got there thank yeah, you yeah I don't know alright that's it that's all of that which just <laughs> led up to that, that. that yes. moment I, I was I was like uh, okay yeah you don't want to know what I was thinking I was thinking bad things moving right along speaking of bad things there's a there's a transition you like that nice that was solid so um on Ouija hit reddit Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know, and the worst thing is it, it didn't it didn't just hit Reddit because that's kind of like maybe it would show up. It hit Kotaku in action. 
And this is a, this is a long explanation. I feel like, but I guess we could talk about it. I don't think we have in. Super I really, I really want to hear your take on this. Maybe, maybe another break time. Yeah, let's do a quick break. Come, come back for the thing I was trying to get to this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, now that I'm going to edit something out, I was trying to think of like what, like. Toad, like Toad, Toad's the little guy, right? The little mushroom-shaped yeah. guy. Yeah. Like what he, place, like purpose he would serve in the bedroom, like you know, because oh, he's he kind of watch. It's a little bit of a like butt plug-shaped guy. <laughs> like I think he he would be like used as a utensil in the in the sexual adventures of Mario and uh, Toadstool. You might be surprised by the things he has under that hat. She's called Toadstool because she sits on him. Oh, uh, uh. Or because he sits on her. Oh no, that's right. Eh? Yeah, I could, I could see it go. Maybe they're switch. Yeah, um, yeah. I can, I can see it going both ways. Right. Depends on what day of the week it is. Why do we take a break? Um, <laughs> we took the. This is the break. This isn't in yes, the show. Yes, gotta figure out how to drop markers in this uh in this program so i can just come back and clip those breaks out very easily you just, you just open your hand and it falls on the table i mean you need to you have to have a marker to start with oh yeah yeah i'm i'm with you or you can just draw a little like hash mark on the screen that would work too i th- my screen's already covered from hash marks because i mark every time you make a dad joke <laughs> <laughs> let's be back we're back we are indeed Josh, you and Kotaku in action. <laughs> tell me. How do, tell I mean, me. What, where do we start here? Is the So tricky- is it someone someone put it so, someone called out on Ouija in a comment or made a post about it in that okay, subreddit? You know, I'll, I'll pull it up. Someone made a post and I saw this. Do I, we need I, to because I want to just talk about what the fuck we're even talking about, too. But maybe yeah. let's let's this can be our way into it and then we can back out a hundred a few hundred feet and just talk about what the fuck. Sure. So, uh, so Reddit's so, fucking problem is. I, I don't think we'll try and go so far as explaining Reddit itself because that would just we'd go down a rabbit hole. But Kotaku in Action is a a subreddit. It's a specific commenting and discussion community on Reddit. It has some very specific uh, uh, associations, and it's not a place that I go ever to like read stuff on purpose. But on Ouija's been getting mentioned on Twitter a bunch as people have been sort of talking about it the last few days. And uh, one of the links I followed from someone mentioning it was to a post on Kotaku in, React, in action. And it was a post, uh, the title of which was in its entirety, on Ouija, satire or shit? Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested immediately. Uh, I'm curious where this is going. Right. Uh, as if the one rules out the other. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and and the person who posted it then posted a sort of follow comment inside to expand a little bit, uh, saying, someone help me out with this? My wife sent me a little web game called Onuiji. Here's the long and short of it. You play Luigi, you wander the Mushroom Kingdom, smoke, and ruminate, a.k.a. spout nonsensical bullshit that sounds deep. <laughs> After, quote, playing the five-minute game, I'm sitting here wondering, is this a piece of satire on games like Gone Home or Sunset? Or is this supposed to actually be a serious game? I'm leaning towards satire, but thoughts? And and I, re- d- against my better judgment, decided to go ahead and you know <laughs> respond with several 
how come he thinks characters. he beat it in five minutes? It took me 17 hours of solid <laughs> gameplay to get to the <laughs> end. Yeah, right, right, right. He, he yeah. probably just got stuck on the first level where you just ruminate. It's just, you know, speed run. He never saw the rest of the game where you're like, you get the triple machine gun and stuff. Exactly. Now, now, now the thing, the reason this is interesting to me is not that someone said maybe this game is shit. Because, and I say this in, in my response, you know, I expect people will have a variety of feelings about anything. Like every game is going to have people who like it and people who don't. Uh, some games are going to have a ton of people who like it, obviously, but, you know, in any case, you make a thing, if you make it with the expectation that the only reaction people are going to have is, this is good and everything about it is great, you're setting yourself up for some heartbreak. And if you spend, say, you know, 20 years making stuff, you get really used to the idea that some people like it, some people won't, and you're going to get criticism, and that's fine. You know, you've got to make your peace with that or you're going to lose your mind. Uh, so, hey, this game is shitty or this game is maybe shitty, not really a troubling thing, not really an interesting thing. You know, people can dislike a thing and that's okay. But the setup of it as this dichotomy where either this game is not shitty because it's making fun of this other shitty game, or it's shitty because it's not making fun of that game but actually like that game, and the fact that this is specifically setting it up against games like Gone Home, which is a similarly experiential game. Uh, it's definitely a lot more elaborate and well-produced and thoughtful and emotionally resonant than Onuiji is, I think, as something that I farted out in a couple days uh you know it's a really interesting and we've talked about some of these before you know and other games like dear esther there's there's a lot of games where there's not the traditional gameplay as in go you know fight the bad guy or navigate the maze you know there's not the big sort of obvious bright line goals it's more just experiencing a place walking through a place looking at stuff piecing together bits of a narrative based on the things you read or you come across or you watch you know so it's very much more just about a sense of place and a sense of story than than about a traditional game structure and not everybody likes these things and that's okay i mean again people like different things uh you know and there's certainly different kinds of games that i like more than others and sometimes more or less depending on what mood i'm in or, or what year it is but uh but it's 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 they're interesting, thoughtful pieces of work, and they have gotten shit on mightily by people who have really weird, restrictive ideas of what a game can be. And also, to some extent, people who are like, I don't like this game because it's the sort of game that people I don't like like. And that is what ties it back to the fact that this is a post on Kotaku in action. Because the thing with Kotaku in action is it's a subreddit populated basically by people who are really into Gamergate, which we've probably talked about some before, but Gamergate is this weird sort of loose affiliation of grumpy motherfuckers who, in theory, if you buy the core narrative, were upset about potential issues with lack of ethics and non-bias in gaming journalism, but actually sort of collectively just did a shitload of terrible harassment of a bunch of women, particularly in the gaming industry, for being women uh, in the gaming industry and making the wrong sort of games and approving of the wrong sort of things and being for the idea of having inclusiveness or thoughtfulness or whatever the fuck. It's really hard for me to comment at much length describing their position because it's so incoherent and so 
essentially sort of vile and hateful once you actually dig below the surface level of, oh no, really, ethics in games journalism and look at how people act and what they collectively respond to. It's basically a bunch of people who do not have a coherent position. They're just really fucking uncomfortable about some of the people and some of the ideas in gaming that I think are really great to have in gaming. Uh, so I'm not a fan. I'm really, really not a fan, and I mostly just don't engage with it. So I feel really kind of conflicted about even having gone over to Kotaku in action to respond to this thing. But I don't know. Every once in a while, it's like maybe try and just say, hey, this is what I think is wrong with the way you're thinking about that, and maybe someone will change their mind. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that's that was that was a weird thing today, that. and And I don't know... I don't know. What were what your thoughts on it, I guess? <laughs> I, 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 I'm very close to it, so it's hard to, like, you know, really clearly out. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just fa- fascinating to find yourself drawn in in any way to that. I mean, I don't know how much to... It, it doesn't, like, put you in the crossfire to just the fact that someone on that particular forum, you know, drew what they thought might be a link between what you were doing and what they were thinking. I mean, you know, it's not it's not the same as, like... Oh, you know, you're really in it now, Josh, type of thing. And I don't want to I don't want to draw parallels with between you and someone who's like literally being persecuted by this group yeah, no, of I, I, psychotic I, I, lunatics. I, I highly doubt any outcome from it, which is weird because like, you know, if they really wanted me to get into it, I would have, you know, any number of really strong. And I, you know, I occasionally have talked about it on Twitter and, and on Metafilter. But uh, yeah, I have very strong negative feelings about it that should make me, you know, uh, persona non grata. But the fact that I showed up and said, hey, I think your way of thinking about this is really problematic and here's what I actually like about games and maybe you should think about games that way <laughs> it's not the same thing as saying hey you know uh, don't be fucking misogynist which I kind of feel like maybe I should have thrown that on as a coda but uh, I don't know it's it's hard to know yeah, oh god I don't know boy that, I mean that's a whole another topic like how do you change someone's mind on the internet is is yeah. there literally never is something that's gonna happen in in the in in a situation as contentious as that um I don't who knows I mean I don't know I've had my mind changed by things that I've read on the internet so I guess it's not impossible but yeah I don't even know if I, if I want to go down that path except to say that what so a, uh, a consoling thought I've had is that it's likely that you can't uh, ever argue someone reason someone out of a position that they didn't reason themselves into and uh some positions are held uh, in a reason immune part of the brain yeah and only kind of allowing that to bleed out and get tiresome and and them to find their own way out of it by realizing how much of the world they've cut themselves off to is the only real way that that ever solves itself and well and the other that i think it's because i i think i think there's a lot of truth to that but i think it's also you know something that it's 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 got a great zing to it i think to some extent you can with luck in the right situation sort of reason someone into reasoning about their position but that's you know i mean that's that's sort of nitpicking to some extent i think the more the more interesting thing there is that just because you can't reason them another position doesn't mean you can't sort of get them thinking differently about their position. You just maybe need to use something other than reason. Maybe you need to actually appeal to something more at a level of, you know, empathy or uh, some sort of emotional appeal that gets them to realize they may have a stake that's worth reevaluating their position, even if it's not one that they're going to approach strictly rationally. And certainly, I mean, I think that's the case. You look at for uh, all sorts of like, you know, 
uh, awareness campaigns for stuff. You know, people doing charity work are not going to operate under the delusion that the only reason that people give them money is because they had such an excellent rationale. Like, you know, you don't not if you're cha- if you're doing like, you know, charity work, you know, on the street or going door to door canvassing, et cetera, you don't uh, expect that it's just the erudition and lock, you know, you know, watertight, you know, lock box reasoning you have that's going to get people to give you money or sign up for the whatever. It's the fact that along with the violation of the social contract that you're using to your benefit, uh, you're going to appeal and hope that something resonates with them, that they're going to be like, oh, you know, I do really care about the trees or women, you know, being able to get health care in crises or whatnot. You know, you, you're going to appeal to things that aren't strictly just, you know, pure rationale. You're going to you're going to appeal to a sense of uh, responsibility or a sense of empathy, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, other aspects of, of human communication. Uh, so it's, it's not so much to say that you can't reason someone out of something they didn't reason themselves into as a, so fuck it, it's impossible. It's just, you know, you've got a different set of tools available. Um, it's what I try and think about that when I try and think hopefully about it anyway. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it, uh, I think a reasoned argument still has a place in a lot of contexts, even if there's no hope of changing the person's mind. Cause as we know, you know, 80 to 90% of the internet is made up of lurkers and spectators so as, mu- as much as you're having a conversation with people who are responding, you're also playing out a conversation for people who may be on the fence or maybe a little more open minded or maybe don't have a dog in the fight or haven't really appreciated the scope of the issue. Exactly. You know, can actually you can walk be- through it and they can kind of evaluate their respective arguments. So you don't have to win the argument with the person that you're face to face with in order to have a positive net effect, maybe. Yeah, there, there's a demonstrative aspect to it, definitely. And I, I try and, well, you know, I think about that with Metafilter, like, uh, you know, much more generally and, and, and often lower stakes, just sort of the idea of talking about uh, good and bad behavior on the site or what works or why something that's not even necessarily a good or bad behavior thing as just like a best practices sort of thing. You know, there's lots of stuff I'll talk about, about how is maybe a good way to handle a situation on the site where I'm not just saying it literally to inform the person who said or asked the question that I'm responding to, but for everybody else in the thread, other people discussing, people reading along. And, you know, people will pick up on a sense of culture based not just literally on the common exchanges they've had, but what they see happen, how they see it explained, how they see it play out. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely, there's a very real, very active aspect of that. You know, and it, it, it seems really obvious when you put it, you know, in some terms, because like, you know, I mean, that's sort of, that's what parenting is a lot too, right? You aren't just literally providing your child with a set of, you know, explicit instructions for them to note down and refer to in the future as a manual for operation. You're trying to set a good example. You're trying to model behavior. Yeah. You're modeling good behavior for them. So, you know, when you explain what happened in the situation. You're not just saying, so if you find yourself in that literal set of parameters, right. here's your instructions. You're saying, no, this is, you're trying to, you know, hopefully sort of convey to them how to think and how to feel and how to reason about a situation so they can, you know, deal with that when they do have to deal with it, you know, and by the same token, an internet commenter who mostly lurks when they do speak up about something, they'll speak up based on what they've seen and what the model, you know, the modeling of behavior they've been present for. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, there is, there is that aspect of just making the argument for the sake of exposing onlookers to the argument rather than just trying to win 
you know, an exchange or whatever. Right. And I, it, and it's weird because this is something we've talked about many times before, and it's all, it's kind of baked into our conversation in some ways, just because by virtue of your what your day job and, you know, main, you know, pursuit is in, in Metafilter and how that's 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 kind of how we know each other and all this stuff. But also just because we're two dudes who spend a fucking lot of time on the Internet reading shit that people have typed. Um, is that I, I have long been uh, a proponent of not feeding the trolls and, in fact, disabling comments ev- everywhere that you don't think the comments are actually going to be a virtuous, <laughs> interesting, you know, positive th- effect in your life. You know what I mean? Like, I can read a little, you know, blip news story in a local p- newspaper's website, you know, without having to know what the fucking jackasses in the comments section below the article have to say about it or have to say about Obama or birth control or whatever the fuck horse they're on in that moment. Yeah. And, and so I've been I've been a real, real big proponent of like, you know what, just Take the poison out of your life. Just don't read it. Just install a, a, a thing that blocks the comments and you can flip it on if you ever want to read the comments. But I don't think, you know, YouTube comments, you know, with uh, with all these slurs that you can imagine are enriching anybody's life. And I don't think engaging with them enriches anybody's life either. So it's yeah. that that's kind of what been a lot of my background about this, where I come at this sort of conversation. Um but it's also the case that really over the last few months and, you know, knowing and and sorry, not knowing, but, you know, following and being interested in the personalities and interesting people and developers and, and women in gaming and men in gaming who are have gotten caught up in this Gamergate, you know, cesspool nonsense bullshit is that a lot of them are are saying like, hey, don't feed the trolls isn't a tenable long term solution to this type of problem. It doesn't. They don't dry up. They don't go away when you don't pay attention to them. You know, that's there's been a lot of thinking that says they do because they're just trying to get get a rise out of you. And if they don't get it, they'll move on, whatever. But that, you know, taking a bigger look at it in these types of situations, you realize that not engaging doesn't solve the problem. So now I have to go back to kind of first principles because, I, you know, I want to be open minded and have my ears open to people who have been forced into positions where they've become experts on online harassment and shitty behavior <laughs> um, and, and, you know, listen to their experience and, and use it in how I engage with the, the internet myself. And so I don't know. And now I'm kind of back in between again, a little bit. Um, and it's because it, very few things are this black and white as a, you know, racial slur on a YouTube comment uh, or just, you know, whatever the opposite of that is useful information I don't know, <laughs> affirmation of some sort i don't know very few things are that on, on that far extreme and reddit itself as a whole falls somewhere on that continuum uh closer to the cesspool end of it in my mind and i that's a whole nother conversation that i didn't know if we'd have time for or not probably not <laughs> but uh but that that I, I i find myself at a loss on how much or how to approach that type of situation what was what what was your what was the, what what did you get back when you made that post in kia subreddit uh, you know, it's not a whole lot so far. I right. did get one. I, I got res- a response from the guy. You know, I, I wrote, uh, I don't know, I eyeballing it here. I'd say probably 300 or so words uh, talking about what I was doing with the game and also my issues with the framing 
of uh, of the false dichotomy in the original post. And I, I eventually got a post back from the guy, uh, I don't know, a few hours later, um, just sort of defensively saying, you know, well, I mean, clearly the part that I said thoughts at the end indicates, you know, the possibility and willingness to consider, you know, maybe different ideas than I initially had. Which I'm not the closed minded person you are. Yeah, well, and, and you know, it's it's hard to say because I mean, honestly, the framing of the post was bad enough that like I didn't have super high hopes for it. But at the same time, every once in a while, someone says, "Yeah, this is a piece of shit or what?" And you're like, "Well, here's a bunch of thoughts from me, the person who made that." And they're like, "Oh," and they sort of reevaluate the behavior. And I don't, I, I don't feel like I got that from this guy. I feel like it was just sort of like a defensive. Eh, but but then, like an idiot, I wrote right. another 400 words in response to that, saying, <laughs> "No, really, here's the specific things that bothered me about the framing of your post, and here's why." And so, if you are looking for a different perspective on it, let me reiterate: you know, here's the idea. You know, look at you know, basically look at games as something that you play and like or dislike or feel conflicted about because that's how you feel when you play them, not because you're not sure whether or not it comports with or goes against an ideology, uh, you know, ideological position you've taken. You know, don't think about whether a game is something that should be disliked because what it is. Play it and like it or don't like it, you know, and, you know, that's a much healthier lens to go through. Like, treat gaming like something that you can actually experience joy and wonder and disappointment in on the basis of playing a game and not as some sort of political act. And, you know, you probably have a much better time with video games in general. Um, right. With it, without trying to think of the world through this one insane imaginary litmus test you've come up with. Yeah, yeah exactly. But saying that, you know, on Kotaku in action feels like sort of saying, Hey, <laughs> what if the whole reason you're here was completely wrong and you know, your worldview was fucked. You know, I didn't say it in those words and I, you know, Again, maybe that's more foolish than anything on my part, but but yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I wish there was a solution. I think it, feel, um, it feels to me like it should be wildly obviously clear from my comment, even though I wasn't going off the rails or being particularly overt about it, that I don't approve. But at the same time, I was being weirdly nice, and maybe that was just way too much subtlety to do there, because I'm just kind. I'm I'm sort of subtly and gently throwing shade on the framing of the question rather than saying, wow, what the fuck is wrong with you that you've <laughs> so subscribed the idea that gone home, for example, is representative of a bad movement in games that you need to hate something, but only if you're sure that it doesn't hate the thing that you hate. But if it's actually satirizing it, then it's great. You know, it's like you should not be that confused about how to feel about a tiny little joke game that you need to go asking for advice from other people who also hate the thing that you're pretty sure you hate. You know, it's like, it's just such a weird fucking way to operate like that. The fact that you are operating at that level of uncertainty seems like, you know, maybe, maybe the uncertainty has to do with your whole fucking worldview rather than, you know, the ambiguity of the Pico eight game you're confused about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, and I'm hopeful that like a whole lot of this nonetheless will turn into people probably not growing up and turning around and giving impassioned speeches about how, you know, the scales fell from their lives and they realized how wrong they were, but at least just like getting the fuck over this weird, horrible, obsessive, like bandwagony bullshit about like, you know, types of games and, and women in games and so on, you know, that they'll at some point at least just feel quietly embarrassed and walk the fuck away from this stage in their life. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are times I'm hopeful. There are times that I am not. 
it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know where the balance falls for me. I think it's just going to keep moving around from day to day based on which bullshit I've seen. (laughs) Well, I do like to try and end on an up note. (laughs) I made another Pico ape game uh, called piano simulator. Okay. Where you have two hands, one plays chords and one plays single notes. Uh, and you use a you know D-pad and two buttons to play control the entire piano, so it's really hard to play much of anything on it. And uh, and I think I might build a theremin simulator next, where you're just literally <laughs> adding momentum to the two hands. So that should be really, really even worse. Is basically what I'm thinking. So is it, but before I play it, can you tell me is it like a mockery of social justice warriors games like Mario Paint, or <laughs> it's, 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 it's re- is it really er, an earnest <laughs> theremin simulator <laughs> that I need to be upset about? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just I, I think it's important that you evaluate that on your own terms and you know really figure out how you feel about it. Well, if you're not going to tell me red, it will. So all right, yeah, I'm go exactly. log in. You got options there. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> fucking internet, man. What is wrong with it? Well, uh, let's go before my hard drive runs out of space and the whole thing <laughs> right. crashes and we have to start over from the beginning. No, I can't talk about Reddit again. Um, <laughs> I'll let you. I'll get you. I'll let you have a refractory period before we really go into the Reddit. All right. Thank you for bringing it back around to a masturbation metaphor. There, that was. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I got gotcha. you. And thank me for explicitly acknowledging it. Yeah, you're in good hands. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.